Ashley Brock reading Dolores Faustin's book Mason, Chapter 7. Mason forced Abby to sit down in the sole chair in the observation room. Not that it would help, but the way she was trembling, he didn't want her to fall on her face, and the chair was better than pulling her back into his arms. He wanted his arms and hands free in case Ace decided to do something stupid and storm the sheriff's office. Mel and I will go after Ace, Dade insisted. You stay here with Abby. Mel was Deputy Melissa Garza, and between Dade and her, they had enough firepower and experience to bring down the assassin. Mason would have preferred to be in on the fight himself, especially because this was the bastard who fired at Abby and him, but he couldn't take the risk. Instead, he shut the door the second Dade left, and he pulled his gun. Pulling his gun didn't help Abby's breathing, and neither did the text he sent to Grayson to let him know what was going on. Abby was able to see his brother's reaction, and Gage was too, when Grayson whispered the news to him. We have to reschedule this. Grayson informed Ferguson and his lawyers. That sent a flurry of questions and complaints from the lawyers, but Ferguson himself just smugly sat there as if he accomplished the chaos that he wanted. Is there a problem? Ferguson asked Grayson when Gage got up and left. No about to assist Dade and Mel. You tell me. Grayson fired back. Is there? Ferguson lifted his shoulder in a casual shock. No problem that I'm aware of. I'm just on my civic duty by voluntarily coming here to answer questions. Questions that you implied were urgent. Another shoulder lift. Apparently, they're not so urgent after all if they can be rescheduled. Mason wished he could muck out the stalls with that arrogant face, but beside him, Abby was having a different reaction. Ferguson knows what this is doing to me, she mumbled. No doubt, well, if it was no doubt, if Ferguson had been the one to hire Ace, Mason wasn't completely convinced that he had, and he hoped Marshal McKinney could get some answers from Boone. Getting answers from Boom was something Mason thought he'd never hear himself want. On the other side of the glass, Ferguson checked his watch. Well, I'm disappointed with the change in plans. I'd hoped to see Maddie this morning. He made a show of looking embarrassed because Mason doubted it was, you know, oops, make that Abby. That's what she's calling herself these days. She is here, isn't she? Grayson didn't answer that. Why did you want to see her? Ferguson huffed as if the answer were obvious. To give her my sympathies, of course. I heard about the fire and the shooting at your family's ranch where she's working. It's all over town. Gossips. He added in mock disgust. I just wanted to assure her that I would do everything in my power to make certain she's safe. That put a knot in Mason's stomach. What kind of sick game was this nut job playing? You want to keep her safe? Grayson added in a flat look to go along with the question. I do. More mock disgust, but Mason could see the edges of a smile. She was just a child when her mother was killed. That wasn't my fault, but you cops in the press blame me for it. He shrugged, scraped, scraped one thumbnail with another. Still, I can't blame Abby for the mistakes of law enforcement. So you don't want her dead? Grayson asked. No. Ferguson jumped answer. All a misunderstanding on her part. I want Abby to be safe and happy. He turned his gaze back to the mirror. 
Tabby, I want her to be able to order white daisies for her mother's grave without having to look over her shoulder. Abby gasped and got to her feet. She would have started for the door if Mason hadn't latched onto her. He saw me. He watched me. The words rushed out with a breath. Yesterday morning, I came into town to get supplies with one of the ranch hands. I stopped by the floor and stole her flowers from my mother's grave. White daisies. Today's would have been her birthday. Hell, Mason made a mental note to call the P.I. agency again and see if someone there had leaked Abby's location. <sighs> Ferguson was stupid to admit that he knew you were in town. That means he had both motive and opportunity to send Ace after you. Even though that would be hard to prove, and Abby's rattled sigh let him know that she was on the same page. I do have other I do have other appointments in town, Ferguson said after another check of his watch. I suppose if your urgent questions haven't been answered by someone else, I I can return in an hour or two. His lawyers objected again, saying that he'd gone above and beyond to cooperate with the Silver Creek Sheriff's Office. They made it sound like something lower than hoofgrits. Ferguson stood, aimed another smile at Abby. Mason put his hand on her shoulder to steady her and kept watching. I'm meeting with Rodney Stone and Nicole Manning at the Saddle and Spur Cafe, Ferguson said. It's just up the street from here, right, Sheriff? Abby could no doubt tell from Grayson's reaction that question was a shocker. Who are those people? She asked Mason. They're connected to the late Senator Ford Harrington. Stone was his personal attorney and friend. Nicole, his longtime lover and campaign manager. She shook her head. Why would Ferguson be meeting with them, and why mention it to Grayson? I'm not sure. Mason moved closer to the mirror and waited for Grayson to ask the question that Mason was also wondering. Grayson didn't make him wait several seconds. How do you know Rodney Stone and Nicole Manning? You don't have you don't have to answer that, one of his lawyers advised. But Mason could see the return of the smugness on Ferguson's slimy face. No reason not to tell the sheriff that I contributed rather large sums of money to Senator Hanner Harrington's re-election campaigns. Ford introduced me to both of them. We've seen each other at social engagements from time to time. Mason didn't know why that surprised him. Both men were rotten to the core, so in a warped way it seemed logical that they were <laughs> They would have associations of some kind, some kind. Maybe they were even friends. Why are you mate with the senator's former business associates? Grayson pressed. Ferguson smiled. Nicole is a book deal. One of those pillow talk, tell-all biographies. And Stone is representing her. I just want to make sure that my association with the senator will be portrayed in a good light. Something was up, and considering this was Ferguson, it was something bad. Ferguson snapped his fingers in a ha-ha gesture. You know, you Ryland should meet with Stone and Nicole, too. I mean, just to make sure she has the correct detail. Details for what? Grayson asked. It's a good question, considering that Mason and all his lawmen brothers were involved in the shootout that had ended with Ford's suicide. Also, considering that Nicole was dirty like her late boss and lover, there's no telling what she might say. Ferguson's mind about the affair Ford's wife had. Oh man, Nicole was bringing Granddaddy Chet into this, but Mason didn't have time for the anger to settle in. My grandfather's been dead for over 20 years, Grayson remarked. He seemed cool enough on the surface, but Mason knew he was riled underneath that long man exterior. And Ford confessed there was murder. That's old news. Nothing for Nicole to rehash. Ferguson made a sound of exaggerated surprise. Oh, I can see you're not in the information loop. You should probably ask Nicole about this. Grayson stood and met Ferguson eye to eye. 
I'm asking you. If Ferguson was the least bit intimidated by Grayson's stance or tone, he didn't show it. It's not my secret to tell, but I'm sure Nicole will share all the bits and pieces with you. He reached across the table and extended his hand for Grayson to shake. Grayson ignored him and strolled out ahead of Ferguson and his lawyers. His brothers, his brother entered the observation room and shut the door. What's the word on Ace Chapman? Grayson said immediately. Nothing yet. Mel Gage and Dade are out there. Mason watched as Ferguson left with his attorneys into, What was all that about Nicole Manning and Rodney Stone? Grayson shook his head and looked at Abby. I was hoping you could tell me. No, Abby quickly answered. Mason told me about your grandfather's murder and about the affair he had with the senator's wife. But I don't know how, how or if it relates to anything else. Grayson gave him a look. And Mason groaned. Someone would have to to go digging back through that old baggage, all the painful memories, including those of Boone, that someone was Mason. There was a sharp knock at the door, and Mason automatically moved Abby behind him, just in case Ferguson was making a surprise visit. But it was Dade, and he shook his head the moment he opened the door. Ace Chapman got away, Dade said, causing the rest of them to groan. Mel and Gage are still out there, and we've asked the Rangers to set up a roadblock. We might get lucky. Might, Abby repeated, and Mason knew what she was thinking. As long as Ace was out there, she was in grave danger. He already tried to kill her twice with the fire and the shots, and he wouldn't hesitate to try again. Grayson moved closer to her and made eye contact. It's your choice, but it'd be smart for you to stay here while in our protective custody. It was an offer he would make to anyone in danger. It was no different with Abby, but Mason knew this wouldn't be easy for any of them. Come on, Mason insisted. He tightened the grip. He had on her arm. She was looking wildly again. We'll go to my office. I need to make some calls. And calm Abby down. Grayson and Dade went in one direction, and Mason and Abby headed up the hall. He got her inside as fast as he could, but didn't shut the door, because he wanted to hear if anyone came into the building, especially Ace. He doubted the hitman would make a stand in the sheriff's office, but he wasn't taking any chances. Ferguson's been watching me. She repeated, why didn't he just kill me when he saw me at the florist? Mason tried to make her sit, but she started to pace. My guess, Ferguson's not the sort to do the dirty work himself. He probably found you and then called Ace. And maybe he doesn't really want you dead. In his own sick way, he might want you alive so he can torture you. She gave a shaky nod and scrubbed her hands down her arms. But how did he find me? Yes, that was the big question, because Mason still didn't have an answer. He took out his phone and scrolled through the numbers until he got to Centron, the, the PI agency in San Antonio. He put the call on speaker, hoping that whatever he heard would make matters worse for Abby. When the receptionist answered, Mason asked to speak to the owner, Burke Denison. Tell me about what you learned about the background check on Abby Baker, Mason demanded. Well, it's not good, Burke said, making Mason groan. Yeah, this would make matters worse for Abby, but Mason was positive she wasn't going to let him take the call off speaker. Besides, she had the right to know, and he'd deal with the fallout later. The agent who handled the background check is Shelley Martin, Burke explained. And when she didn't get any of the usual info in her initial run, Shelley sent out the picture to San Antonio PD and to other PI agencies around town. Mason would have grown louder if it would happen. Shelley figured this Abby Baker was hiding something, and she was just doing her job. Burke added, oh, she was hiding something, all right, hiding from a killer. One of the other PIs thought Abby looked familiar, so he did some digging, made some calls, and figured out that she's really Madeline Turner. 
and all that digging could and would have alerted Ferguson. I take it this created some problems, Burke asked. You better did. We'll talk later. Mason would blast Burke in a private conversation, but doing that now would only add to Abby's anxiety. For now, he hung up. Abby pushed her hair from her face and leaned against the wall. Too bad I'm not at the ranch so I could go for a ride. Might work off some of this jitterness. Mason understood. It's how he bear burned off dangerous injury energy. And he was feeling a lot of that now, especially because he was partially responsible for Ferguson finding Abby. He slipped his phone back in his pocket and walked closer. What he didn't do was close the door, even though she might like some privacy when she fell apart. There was that dangerous energy in the mix now, and privacy would only fuel things that shouldn't be fueled. Still, he went closer and stopped right in front of her. I'm sorry, he told her, and he wondered if she realized just how rare it was for him to apologize. Apparently, she did, because Abby managed a weary smile before her breath broke, and a sob made its way from her throat. I only made things worse by coming to Silver Creek. You couldn't argue with that, but most of this wasn't her fault. Of course, all of this had started with her lie about who she really was. But considering how quickly Ferguson had found her, it was a warranted lie. Well, for the most part. And it was the most part in the sob that had Mason move in even closer. He slid his arm around her waist. The warning in his head came almost immediately. Danger ahead. But the rest of him pretty much ignored that, and he stayed put. Abby looked up at him, her eyes shiny with fresh tears. It's harder when you're nice to me, she whispered. Mason smiled before he could stop himself, then frowned, then scrowled. But the scrowl wasn't for Abby, it was for him. What the heck was he doing? Apparently he was making a mistake. It's because he leaned in, lowered his head, and brushed a kiss on her cheek. In the back of his mind, he rationalized that this was the kind of comfort they both needed. But that was a lie. Kissing her, even a cheek kiss, wasn't for comfort. It was to piece this blasted attraction. Abby made a sound, not a sob, but a soft murmur that sounded like a pleasure reaction. Mason tested that theory with another brush kiss. This time, though, his mouth moved to hers. Oh, yeah, it was pleasure, all right. And bad. Very bad. That's because he didn't move. And he didn't stop with just a simple touch. He pressed harder. Moved closer, touching her body with his, taking the kiss of comfort to a whole new level. Man, she tasted good, like something he'd searched for his entire life, and he couldn't feel that way, especially not about Abby. Did that stop him? No, nor did the fact that his office door was wide open, and one of his brothers could come walking in at any moment. But Abby thankfully had some sense left. She pulled back and met his gaze. We should rethink this, she whispered. Then she did something that caused his body to clench and beg. She ran her tongue over her bottom lip and made that sound of pleasure again. He was toast. Mason was ready to go back for a second kiss, but the jangling sound stopped him cold. Even though the hot haze in his head, he knew the sound meant that someone had just come through the front door of the sheriff's office. He hoped like hell that it was it wasn't Ace Chapman. Abby no doubt thought the same thing because the fear and some embarrassment flashed through her eyes. Stay put, Mason warned. And with his gun ready, he stepped into the hall, bracing himself for a showdown with a hitman. But it wasn't Ace Chapman who had stepped who had just stepped in. Mason saw the man and his stomach went to his knees. Boone Ryland was back. End of chapter seven.